Let us read now from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, together. Will you join me? Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So for those of you who are here this morning that may not know me, I'm Melissa Nelms. I'm the youth director here at Acts 2, and Mark invited me to share the message with you this morning because it's Confirmation Sunday, and we have 34 students that myself and our six mentors have been walking with over the past nine months since September uh, to get to this point, and we are excited to celebrate with them today. We're excited for all the family and friends who are here to celebrate with us, but we're going to continue in our sermon series, The Way, this morning. We're talking about proclaiming the kingdom. And so much of Jesus's ministry happened on or near the mountaintops. And so as I was thinking about that and reflecting on that, I started thinking about my own mountaintop experiences in life, some of them spiritual and some of them physical. And so the spiritual ones I can remember are things like camp, going to church camp or confirmation, which I was in the sixth grade like you guys were, um, going on retreats like chrysalis and mission trips, my first mission trip to Estonia. And then um, my favorite job, my favorite internship were working at John 3.16 in North Tulsa as a college student. Those were some spiritual high places for me, some mountaintop experiences. And you've probably experienced some of those as well. And then there were the physical mountaintops. And I don't have many of those. Um, but the first one I can remember and thinking back on is my trip to Colorado with my family. We did a road trip one summer when I was about sixth or seventh grade, and we went to Colorado, and we were going to do Pikes Peak, and we got a mile from the summit, and our transmission failed us, and we were stuck for hours a mile from the summit. And finally, some ranger, very kind-hearted man, came and took us in his ranger vehicle so we could at least see from the top, um, but it was a disaster. It was just a really, really long day. So that was my first physical mountaintop experience, not the greatest. And then my next one was probably just growing up going to Camp Egan and hiking up the mountain to the cross every year, every summer. And uh, we talk about Camp Egan's mountain, but it's really a Oklahoma mountain, um, which is just a really tall hill. And so I really don't have a lot of hiking experience. Um, and I was not prepared for my first actual hiking experience, which was to Pacaya. Now, Pacaya is an active volcano in Guatemala. Now, what was I doing on an active volcano in Guatemala? On March of 2009, I had the opportunity to go on a mission trip with our uh, students from Asbury, Tulsa First United Methodist Church, and we served with the students there for a week in Guatemala. We were building retaining walls and digging ditches and soccer fields, those type of things, and we were in Guatemala City, and so the day before we left, we decided to do the touristy thing and climb a volcano. And so this is what we climbed. Um, this is from the base. This is Pacaya. Um, it's 19 miles outside of Guatemala City near Antigua, and it is 8,373 feet tall, a lot taller than our Oklahoma hills and fake mountains. 
and it's centered in Pacaya National Park. Um, as you see there, it says underneath the name of the volcano that it's supposed to take an hour and a half to get to the summit. And uh, for an experienced hiker, that's probably the true. For me and my sister and her friends, it was not. It was more like a two-hour hike one way. So we started our hike. We start walking through this beautiful national forest in Guatemala, outside of Guatemala City. And we get to this little village, and they're selling pony rides through the forest, right, to get to the base of the mountain. And we're thinking, we're not very experienced. We don't need no stinking ponies, though. We can do this, right? We can hike to the base of this mountain, and we're going to get all the way to the top. So we passed on the pony rides, and we continued our hour trek through the national forest of Pacaya National Park. And we made it to the base of the volcano, and my sister's face looked like this. <laughs> she told me I could show this picture. I saw her this week. Um, that's how it felt after an hour of hiking through this beautiful terrain. And so we're standing at the base of the volcano and we just look up because <laughs> it was way up and it took us another hour from that point to get to the top of the volcano. Now we made it to the top in one piece and it was amazing. It was absolutely gorgeous. And the wind was just tearing through. As you can see, my ponytail is like sticking straight out from the side of my head. It was just crazy. And it was actually, like I said, it's an active volcano. So there was eruption that day, and it was like spitting ash. And so you couldn't get too close to the crater, although some of our more daring senior high boys thought they were cool enough to do that. Um, I was not. Um, and so we, we stood up here and we looked, and as you can see, I've got my gloves, got my hat, my walking stick, like I was totally prepared for this. Not really. Um, and I'm looking around, and it just feels really good to be on top of the mountain. And I didn't really want to go back down because I looked down, and this is what I saw. And I had just climbed this. I knew what it felt like to climb it, and now I had to go back down it, which seemed a lot scarier because it was slick, and it was rocky and sharp and hot. Volcano is hot, obviously. And so I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking back on my week, and I'm like, it's been a great week. It'd be really great just to stay right here where I am. I'm tired. I'm hot. That looks scary. And I know what's waiting for me at the bottom of the mountain. We're going back home tomorrow. And I'm, a, you know, I'm in college still, and so I've got to get back, and I've got to start preparing for finals. I've got to start studying and finishing all the projects and the papers that I'd been putting off all semester long. And I needed to start preparing for summer internships and, you know, interviewing for jobs. And all these things started kind of racing through my head, as I'm sure you can imagine. And that anxiety hit, and I'm looking down, and the fear hit, and I was just struck, as I'm sure Peter was struck. And I didn't want to leave. I wanted to stay there. But we can't stay on top of the mountain. We have to come down. Because we know at the bottom of the mountain there's work to be done. And that's the first blank in your sermon notes. If you'll pull those out, continue through our conversation together. There's work to be done. And it's our work to do. So maybe you've felt this before. Maybe you've felt this euphoria mixed with fear and anxiety of the future. Maybe you've been at church camp and there's been a thunderstorm rolling behind the worship band, kind of low in the background, and you felt the presence of God. Or maybe you've been on a mission trip and you've seen God reflected in the people that you're serving with. Or maybe you've been on the beach on vacation and you watch the sunrise over the ocean and you're just in awe 
God's mercy and God's creation all around you. Maybe you're a confirmand, and you've been on the mountaintop for the past 26 weeks. Maybe that's your mountaintop experience. Maybe you've never felt that. Maybe you haven't found your mountaintop yet. Maybe you haven't met God there, and you don't know if that's actually possible. But the truth remains the same. We've got to come down. So when we look at the, pic, at the story in Mark chapter 9, we see that it takes place on top of a mountain. And in this story, we read of Jesus' transfiguration. And that's just a really big word to say that Jesus was changed. Jesus revealed more of himself. He revealed his divinity. He revealed his divinity, his oneness with God. And he was sharing it with his closest friends. He was sharing it with his inner circle of, the, of disciples, Peter and James and John. And so they're on the mountaintop, and Jesus appears there with Elijah and with Moses. And the disciples are struck with fear and awe in the presence of these three figures of the faith, these three major players, right? And they're in awe, and they're in fear, and they don't know what to do with it. And so Peter, being Peter in 9.5, says this. He says, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Peter has witnessed this divine revelation on top of the mountain, and he wants to stay there in that moment on that mountaintop. And he wants to be, build three shelters, one for Elijah, one for Moses, and one for Jesus, so they can stay there together, so they can be there in that place and feel that presence, feel that euphoria and that peace and just that longing to be every day, all day. And he's not ready to go down. And he realizes in that moment that life is never going to get any better than this. I mean, you're standing there with Jesus and Moses and Elijah, and it can't get any better than that. And in fact, two chapters later, we read that when Jesus gets to the bottom of the mountaintop, he's going on to Jerusalem for the last time, and he's preparing for his death. We're going to celebrate that in a couple weeks on Palm Sunday as we move closer to Easter. So his ministry on earth is coming to a close. There's kind of this sense of finality on top of the mountain, and Peter feels that. He knows that. And he's not ready for it. He doesn't want to think about it. He doesn't want to go to that place. And so he says, let's stay. Let's stay on this mountaintop because we've encountered the living God here, and it's not going to get any better. How could it? But Adam Hamilton writes, if you are a citizen of the kingdom, then you have a mission. You have a mission. And as citizens of the kingdom, we come down from the mountaintop and we're filled up by that encounter with the living God and we are going out. We are filled up so we can go out to fulfill that very mission that we've been given. And so as we read on in the chapter after the transfiguration story, we read about the mountain base because they do come down from the mountain. And we read about what's happened at the base of the mountain. And so they get to the bottom and they are immediately surrounded and greeted by the disciples. So Jesus meets the disciples there, the other nine that weren't up there on the mountaintop with them. And in the midst of the disciples, they are surrounded by a great crowd. They're just swarmed by people. And in the middle of the crowd, a fight has broken out, and the scribes are arguing with the disciples. And maybe you've experienced this before. You've been to the mountaintop. You went and had coffee with your best friends. You were relaxed. 
you had some really nice, rare adult conversation, and you're feeling good. And then you get home, and you walk through the garage door into the house, and all you hear is arguing. And your kids are automatically at your feet, and they're talking, and they're arguing, and they're fighting about whose show they're going to watch, and who stole the remote, and, I, you know, important things here. Really important things that they're arguing about. Maybe you can imagine Jesus' uh, feelings at that moment, being surrounded. And then out of the crowd comes a father. And this father is asking for healing for his son, a son who has lived with convulsions his entire life, these convulsions that throw him into the fire and into the water, and he asks Jesus to heal him. And Jesus stops, and he does. He heals this boy of his epilepsy, and his ministry continues. You see, Jesus' work in that moment at the base of the mountain reflected the mountaintop experience as is ours. He didn't stay on the mountaintop, but he let that encounter fuel his mission in the last days of his ministry here on earth. His work reflected the mountaintop experience. So our mission is to bring the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. That's the mission. That's what waits us at the bottom of the mountain. We are to proclaim the kingdom But what does the kingdom look like? That's what we're asking ourselves now, right? The kingdom of God is where what God wants done is done. Isn't that awesome? We read in Luke 4, 16 through 18, we read this. It says, when he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue, and on the Sabbath day, as was his custom, he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. To proclaim release to the captives and recover sight to the blind. That's what what God wants done. See, citizens of the kingdom do good deeds. And when we read about the good deeds in Ephesians 2.10, it says this, For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, good deeds, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. This good works, it's not just good. It's not just okay. The Greek translation here is beautiful, winsome. These are deeds that draw people closer to God. That when people see us do these good deeds, that they are drawn closer to God. They see God in us, and they want to be close. Everything we touch should be improved by the encounter, even as we help preserve the good of God's creation. Everything should be improved because we've encountered the true and living God. So I ask you, are your deeds winsome? Are they beautiful? Are you drawing people closer to God? Finally, the kingdom is done in community. Now my confirmands and my youth have heard this time and time again, that we don't do this alone. Christianity is not done in a bubble. When we do it in a bubble, that's when the crazy comes out, right? You guys have heard me say that. We don't want to be crazy Christians. We want to be radical, but we don't want to be crazy. 
And so we do life together in community. We were created for relationship and for community. That's where we're stronger. That's where good works happen. So we read uh, in Acts 2 later on that all who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. They did all things together. They were united. They were one. They were in community together. And no one had any need because they took care of one another. I am excited, and I feel blessed to be part of this community. This Acts 2 family is my church family. And today, I'm more excited than I've ever been because we are going to be welcoming in our largest confirmation class we've ever had. We have 34 students sitting up here in the front that have been studying together and learning together since September. And we are stronger today than we've ever been before because they're part of the family now. We get to be a part of that. We're a stronger family because of them. Because 34 students sitting here have a heart and a love for God, and they can't wait to share what they've learned with you guys and with the world, and they're going to change the world with the love of God. I've seen it happen already. And we get to witness that, and we get to be a part of that. And we as a community, the most important thing we can do is come around them and support them in that. This is not the end of their journey, but the beginning of their journey. We get to be there with them, continue to learn, to read together, to serve together, to mentor and guide them, to pray for them. Because it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can do even greater things than the one who came and lived and died and rose again for us. We can do even greater things than him because he's given us his spirit to do it together. The kingdom is not simply about refraining from doing evil. It is about actively blessing others because we have been blessed to be a blessing. It is about being salt and light for the world. And these students are salt and light. So the action steps today are first to find your mountaintop. Where is it that you feel closest to God? Where have you encountered the living God? Where do you know him? And more than just knowledge about him, but you know him intimately, having a relationship with him. Maybe it's here at church. Maybe it's at the ocean or on a mountaintop. Maybe it's somewhere completely different. But where is it? You need to find it. And then once you've found it, you have to go there. Don't put it off. You've got to go and be in that place. You have to take time to encounter God. Adam Hamilton says, if you walk in the footsteps of Jesus, you'll spend regular periods of time alone on your own mountain, wherever it may be, in prayer and meditation. And then I love this quote from uh, Moby Dick, and I haven't actually read Moby Dick, but this struck me from Herman Melville, and he says, whenever I find myself growing grim about the mouth, Whenever it is a damp, drizzly November in my soul, whenever I find myself involuntarily pausing before coffin warehouses and bringing up the rear of every funeral I meet, 
and especially when my hypos get such an upper hand of me that it requires a strong moral principle to prevent me from deliberately stepping into the street and methodically knocking people's hats off. Then I count it high time to get to the sea as soon as I can. I can imagine that Jesus in his most human moments felt like knocking the hats off people sometimes, as I do, and as you do, I'm sure. And that's when we know that's our signal that it's time to go spend time with God. It's time to go to our mountaintop, wherever that is. But once we get there, we can't stay there. You have to come back down the mountain. You can't live out the mission on top of the mountain. You have to come down because that's where the people are. That's where the mission is. You have to let your work reflect your encounter with the living God on the mountaintop. And that happens at the base of the mountain, in community with others. And lastly, you have to proclaim the kingdom. So confirmation students... This morning, you're going to learn how to do that with your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness. And you are going to proclaim the kingdom with us. And we are going to bring heaven here on earth. And it's going to start today because we are stronger with you as a family than we were before. So I encourage you to go to put your faith into action and to proclaim the kingdom and bring it here on earth.